Immersive Audio Podcast. In conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business, to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Kedasha Shada, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing excellent, Oliver. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It's it's Friday night. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Feeling great. And it's morning for you because you're calling from LA. That's right. That's right. How's the weather? It's great, actually. We've, we're, we're finally ending, ending our tail end summer heat wave. It's nice to be outside again. It's great. My favorite time of the year. Actually, you've been previously featured on one of our episodes uh, hosted by Felix Thompson uh, a while back talking about audio for mixed reality. And uh, since then, I wanted to invite you and do a full episode. And um, it's been a couple of years since we've been trying to arrange this. So it's finally happening. Yeah, finally happening. And at an interesting time. Just for our audience, Kida, could you please fully introduce yourself and tell our guests about what you do? As Oliver mentioned, I'm Kedar, and I have been in the immersive audio industry since the Oculus boom back in uh, 2013. And I've worked on various facets of immersive audio tech, ecosystem development, content creation, uh, I'm a sound designer, technical sound designer, composer. I'm also a software developer, a programmer, and I'm also an evangelist. And I think at my core, I am I am someone who helps bridge worlds between industries, between subsectors of tech. And I've been in various companies throughout my career that have helped facilitate the creation of our current immersive audio ecosystem, such as Steam Audio. Um, OSIC, now defunct, and ma- most recently Magic Leap. And within a lot of these areas have stood on those various discipline pillars that I just kind of mentioned. So I've been all around the board and uh, continue to be all around the board. <laughs> you could say I'm an immersive audio generalist is one way you could say it. Where did you grow up and what got you interested in audio? Yeah, so I grew up in upstate New York in a small town called Corning. And I grew up as a musician and my family and household was incredibly musical growing up. I studied a lot of South Indian classical music as a child and was a saxophone player and was on a path to uh, become a professional musician. And, you know, this is a pretty classic story with many people in audio, you know, musician turned audio person. But even through that initial journey as a child, I was always playing with tech. I was always playing games. I was always diving in and seeing what was possible, fiddling around with sonar, garage band, all these original tools. And then, and then ultimately, when I got to university, I realized that audio could be a career path. And I was on route to actually becoming like a professional saxophonist and was also going to like become a chemical engineer at the same time. And then I decided when I discovered that audio could be a possibility, I said uh, goodbye to both of those things and very quickly pivoted into uh, audio. And it was 
I just knew in that moment, I was like, oh, this is it. This is my path. It's it's this beautiful place where I can bridge together uh, my inclination towards engineering and also be an artist. And that has also, that has been a fundamental uh, tenant and balancing act that I've often played throughout my entire career since then. How did you get into the industry? What was your initial step? So my initial step into the industry was I started working in recording studios locally in where I was going to university in Rochester, New York, and was basically feeling out the audio industry as as a student and kind of discovering what was what, what was where, how things worked. And I remember there was an initial click moment where I finally put two and two together that I was like, oh, wait, you can do audio for games. It's like, whoa. And that, and that kind of blew my mind. I was like, it, I feel like as it does for many people who just don't seem to see that. And when it, when, when it clicks, I've noticed that happen, not just with me, but many people as they've int- entered the industry as students being like, wait, audio for games, that's a thing. And, and as soon as I knew that was a thing, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to make audio for games. There was something about the, um, the technical challenge of it, the engineering, the interactivity, actually getting sounds to play in an interactive way in the game that, Im- that immediately attracted me. I was like, oh, this is not just... Uh, a creative problem. This is also a technical problem to solve. And this is both. It's technical creativity. And I saw that and understood that fundamentally from the get-go. And then it was an immediate thing of like, okay, how do I do that? How do I get into that? How I want to make sound for games? And I knew nothing. And I like remember applying to every every company, every internship that I could get my hands on, reaching out to a zillion people and I was just like cold, cold LinkedIn messaging everyone as a student. And nobody responded except for one person at EA. His name was Mike Wilga. And he he responded, he's in the industry. And he, he responded to me and he's like, hey, man, like, thanks for reaching out. Like, do you have a demo reel? And I sent a demo reel. And he responds back. He's like, yeah, like, you're totally unqualified to work at a game studio. But here are some things you can do. And he's like, try making your own game. And that lit a spark for me. I was like, ooh, yeah, I will make my own game. So that's actually kind of how I got started. I just started making games. And the thing that initially grabbed my interest was, well, how can I make a game that's only audio? I didn't know anything about graphics. And I was like, well, let me just make one that's audio only. But I also knew a little bit about binaural audio at the time. And this was before any tools existed. This was before any game engine spatializers. This was before. Uh, this is when it was still largely academic, to be honest. So it's like, so it's like, all right. I wonder if I can make a game that is made only out of sound, and what would that be like? And that just set me off on an adventure that that took like a few years that led me to actually working at. Seam Audio originally when it was Impulsonic before it got acquired by Valve and it took me to OSIC, it took me to a lot of different places down the line. But there was this initial thing of like, what does that actually look like, an immersive audio only game? And that drove me as a student to learn how to become a software developer, to learn how to just be a game designer, a game developer. It taught me how to be a sound designer, it taught me how to be a technical sound designer, an audio programmer, because at the time none of the tools existed. And I really had to pave my own path to to make this happen. So it was like, oh, well, great. Well, I need to understand how this whole binaural audio thing works. I need to understand how HRTFs work. And it became an exercise in reading papers and understanding how head-related transfer functions work. And I was just like, well, 
But now I have these game engine tools, and I guess how the hell do I build a spatializer? How do I spatialize my audio in these in the first place? They they don't do that right out of the box. Oh, let me start building plugins. Oh, wait, Oculus just launched their Kickstarter? Oh my god, there's now three startups that are building spatial audio tools. Maybe I can work with them. And that was this impetus of, of me becoming a generalist in this industry in many ways, yet a specialist at the same time. Specialist in the area of spatial audio and immersive audio as related to general immersive technologies, games, music, and movies, but a generalist in the sense of being able to apply all these skills and create content and create experiences and create tools. So that's really how I got my start. It was it was like that from day one. So I want to talk a little bit about Steam. So you worked with Steam as part of Audio Team. Can you share a little bit about your experience there? And can you also maybe give a bit of an overview what Steam is as a platform, where they come from, and how they kind of sit within the larger ecosystem today? Yeah, totally. So I was working with them at the very beginning. Uh, well, not at the very beginning. Uh, they had been... The, the original team, Anish Lakulish, they had been they'd been researchers over at UNC and working on spatial audio there under uh, under Dinesh. And yeah, they they got together and they started working on the the tool was called Impulsonic at the time. Well, they were called Impulsonic at the time, and the tool was called Phonon. And they had three tools: Phonon 3D, Phonon Reverb, and Phonon uh I forget what their third tool was called, but basically this was a spatializer, um, a geometrically driven reverb engine, and a uh, occlusion diffraction tool as well. At the time when I was working with them, I was really showing up as like as as an intern, as a consultant, kind of working on little pieces. I worked on their Unreal integration a little bit, helped them develop uh, demos and tools to uh, to showcase what. Photon could or Phonon could do, and that's really how I started getting involved. And this capacity was ultimately held by this this larger, broader goal of, well, let me take these tools as they're being developed in real time by this team and implement them into this audio only game that I'm working on, which at the time was called uh, Sight Unseen. So I was working on this pet project throughout that was that was like okay. While they're developing the tools, I'll help them develop the tools, whatever they can need, whatever they need it. While I figure out um, what I can really do with it from a game design, game development perspective, how can I drive game design, game development through um, these tools like this? So that was that was then, and this was back 2013, 2014-ish, and uh, and then since then they've gotten acquired by Valve, and they're doing incredible things now. And so Steam Audio today is an end-to-end spatial audio solution that really focuses on real-time sound propagation, occlusion reflection, uh, spatial audio, and is a, is a set of game engine tools, really. And in the larger ecosystem, if you will, you could say, taking a step back, there's game engine tools, there's digital audio workstation tools, digital audio workstation tools that are um, spatial audio focus being largely driven for linear content, 360 content, and then obviously the game engine tools for the interactive content. And then within the world of the uh, interactive spatial audio tools, there's a variety of different tools in the landscape. The most important thing to mention is, I think, architecturally, how a lot of these middleware companies and game engines have 
created a ecosystem for spatial audio plugins. And there's a lot of different plugins out there now. No Unity and like FMOD Wise, Unreal, none of them are trying to be spatial audio rendering solutions because ultimately as a game engine, you want to allow the creator to render out audio how you want to be rendered. So Steam Audio offers one solution that is largely rooted in real-time sound propagation, occlusion and reflection and things like that, where a lot of it is driven by physics-based properties from the game engine itself, like geometry, materials, and things like that to actually calculate what would be a realistic recreation of that physically, as opposed to perhaps a perceptually driven approach where you are using parameters of perceptual sound qualities and, and, and whatnot to drive how these things sound. So that's what drew me to them originally. I was like, oh, I wonder what happens when we actually ver- like recreate and model the acoustic simulation of environments. What can we do from a gameplay perspective? What can we do from a content creation perspective with that? And that attracted me to them from the get-go. It's now a, a mature tool that lives across multiple different integrations and whatnot, PC, Mac, Android, and whatnot. So that's that's Steam Audio. Yeah, really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of somehow not intentionally or accidentally avoided Steam tools in kind of everyday work. But after what you told me, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe because there's like um, there's multiple options, multiple solutions for a single job. And I guess if you just try something and it works, you just sort of stick to it for kind of uh, simplicity reasons, but uh, definitely interested to dig in into Steam. That's really interesting. Actually, I, I'd love to stay on that for a second. The, w- the way you just said that is really interesting to me as a tools creator. So what tools do you use and why do you think that uh, you yourself never came across and dove into Steam Audio. And and I'm I'm asking this not from a perspective of like, why not Steam? But also kind of but more general, like what's your relationship to spatial audio tools right now? And I think that that actually serves this broader conversation of why we use the tools that we do in our creation process and and how that's and how that's facilitating, you know? I guess it's uh, a number of very boring and banal factors, things like accessibility. For example, uh, Oculus tools are integrated within Unity, largely supported by the um, Oculus system. A lot of developers are familiar with it, so it's kind of like a, become like a bread and butter tool for many quick jobs. I think Google Resonance was uh, quite popular for, for a short while until they stopped supporting tools and they haven't been updated for a while. So I think they're a little bit out of date now, but for as long as they were reliable, I think people quite liked the the reverb. Google Resonance, so, uh, Blue Ripple Sound is a very powerful set of tools that covers a lot of things you kind of typically expect and beyond. Um, more kind of, um, I suppose, less accessible in terms of price but at the same time, you you do get a number of unique features, like for instance, third order ambisonics playback within the Unity, which is does internal app mixing because the the native platform only supports up to four channels, just various things like that, really. Uh, what else? Uh, obviously, there's Facebook 360. Uh, there's Dear Reality now, which uh, I've not used it on like any big project from what I kind of uh, seen and heard online and other colleagues. It's quite powerful and um, very nice sounding reverbs and also obviously has the whole kind of um, benefit of uh, being able to use it with the main software which obviously allows you to 
do mixing in virtual reality, which is like a whole different ball game altogether. So there's there's a number of factors. But yeah, I think the the large thing I'm theme I'm noticing from you is 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 accessibility, and and I think that that really speaks volumes. One of the first things you actually said that that really stuck with me was Oculus. You know, it's 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 there and it's available on all the platforms, and it's part of a larger tool set. And that really speaks volumes, you know. Like if you actually, you know, it, do, if you can guess what one of the if you if you actually look at the market share for uh, search engines, Bing is still like huge fifty percent like market share in terms of people's default search engines because it's loaded as default in Windows, and you know it it, it really speaks volumes that it really doesn't matter to to some extent. Uh, what tools are better, and and I and I, and I say that with all the sensitivity in the world to, you know, what goes into these tools to make them powerful, what makes what goes into make them stable, what goes into make them great tools and great spatializers in the first place. But at the end of the day, when something is part of a bigger ecosystem like Oculus, uh, it's just easier to use. And when you have a project that you need to, to to get out the door, you need a tool that is stable, available. Easily accessible that you can easily work with and just get out the door. And that's why Google Residence was, I think, another reason it was really popular for a short amount of time. Because for a short amount of time, it was the only truly cross-platform spatializer, like for both mobile and desktop. And and that was like, okay, like what's my option for that? I got to do an iOS, Android, and desktop VR experience. What am I going to use? Oh, Google. That's the only thing. So and I, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I've 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 seen in my career thus far about ecosystem development in the first place. It's like, it's it's like you could have the best tool in the world, but but man, if you're not out there and accessible on all the platforms with a high level of stability and an ease of access, then nobody's going to use your tool, and that's a non-trivial, substantial amount of work. Which is why a lot of the tools today that we're seeing as industry standards are really coming from the big players. And you see that reflected not just in the immersive audio ecosystem, but the general XR ecosystem as well. As things have stabilized over the last few years, it's really the big players that are now playing at the platform level. You know, in many ways, Magic Leap was like one of the not big tech companies that was making a bid at being a platform for XR still. And over this year, we've seen, well, that's not the case anymore. They're not in the running. We're looking at Facebook, we're looking at Microsoft, we're looking at Apple, and we're now seeing this stabilization happen in the ecosystem where it's where the platforms are being driven by the big tech companies. And then we then see that natural kind of breakdown from there into like, okay, bigger te- bigger companies that can handle ecosystem level platform things and spatial audio tools and then niche plugins because as you as you even named your list you, you started getting into the niche plugins like oh yeah like blue ripple higher order ambisonics that's like that's where I go for that and I'm like yeah blue ripple's great for that and and you and you're like oh yeah dear reality is really great when it comes to mixing in VR and it's just like you start seeing these little 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 indie companies that are like yeah we're great at this one thing and this is why you want to come use this tool and it Takes a very special place in your tool belt to be able to create with the, with some of these tools, you know. So um, it's really interesting. I always love to reflect on that. Yeah, absolutely. And and as always, uh, kind of in a professional world where things tough on many levels, we're always competing against tight deadlines and tight budgets and rigid expectations from the 
hierarchies above. And, you know, often than not, you working within limiting factors and you just a small piece of a bigger puzzle. And um, it's it's logistics and, you know, you want, you're going to go for simplicity. You want to go for something that you use just the other day on something else and just works. It's reliable. And I can't agree more that the kind of the accessibility factor and cross compatibility and uh, ubiquity is something that people vote for without even thinking twice and only go for a more specialist, more kind of uh, boutique solutions when they either need that particular feature that they require in their research and they found a solution or they say they're working with in more relaxed conditions maybe like a game or something where they you know have a bit more kind of creative freedom and technical freedom to experiment and explore themselves and try different things and um, I I think the the same goes for other creative industries you know don't fix it if it ain't broke (laughs) let's talk about OSIC I don't know I mean is it uh, just to like before we segue into that that question I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here we just talked a lot about ecosystem I mean we could talk about OSIC but it's a lot of it's it's a more of the same. I think I, I know people are probably curious, be like, what happened with Osic? You know, but <laughs> the I don't know. We, I guess we could talk about it. I guess the bigger question is: Is there room for another Osic to reemerge, uh, like a Phoenix? <laughs> Our days. Maybe it was too early. Maybe it was too complex, too pricey for the ecosystem, which was. Uh, minuscule at the time. Now it's still very small. However, it's much bigger, more developed compared to how it was three years ago. So I suppose the bigger question is what OSIC brings to the table and is it still relevant today? And if there was another OSIC, would it be successful? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think you actually started hitting a lot of the nails on the head. I think one of the toughest things about OSIC was it was too early for in many ways ahead of us. It was too early and too complex and too much for a small company to bring. The the vision was huge and 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 to kind of like rearticulate what what exactly that vision was. It wasn't just spatial, I mean for those who don't know, it was we were trying to create spatial audio headphones that could calibrate to your ear shape and head size and give you a customized HRTF experience or as close to that as possible in a set of headphones. And then on top of that, have these headphones be able to work everywhere with desktop VR, with mobile VR, with mobile phones, with just general gaming, with uh, with movies. And it was this thing of like, okay, we're gonna create the ultimate headphone that can, you know, that can that has you know, built-in head tracking and works everywhere. And it's and like the ask on that is huge. Like it's 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 huge from from an ecosystem perspective, especially where it's like, all right, we're gonna build hardware that nobody's ever built before. We're gonna innovate on the headphone, the concept of the headphone completely, and we're gonna build all of this crazy custom software for it that is also incredibly innovative that nobody's ever really done before. And then we're gonna do this across all the platforms with like seed funding and like 12 people. <laughs> so it was really ambitious and and I'm really, and to this day, I'm so, so proud of how far we got. It, I, I think it really is astounding that, that even by the end of it, we, we still, did, we, we, did, we did and do have an, an, a truly amazing sounding, you know, headphone, but you know, it, it was really early, and and it was it, it was aggressive. It was like people were still figuring out how to relate to spatial audio. There was so much work that had to be done around evangelizing spatial audio 
in general? Like, what is spatial audio? What is immersive tech? What is the difference between binaural audio? What is the difference between that, ambisonics, and like, and 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 surround sound? And if you go back in time to when Osic was alive, which was 2015, 2016, 2017, and you look at what was happening at the industry level, like if you look at conference talks from back then, all of the conference talks were actually about like, what is spatial audio? Spatial audio is this. And that's what we were talking about at the time. It's like, hey, creators, hey, sound designers, hey, audio professionals, like let's help you understand what this new area of spatial audio is like. And it's changed so much since then. And now we're at the point where it's like, okay, great. We know what spatial audio is. Let's talk about the tools, the techniques. Let's talk about what it means to actually create content well. And I remember there was it, it was it was like an, it, a lot of us had the joke at the time because one of the most quoted things you could you could hear at any XR related talk at the time was "We're in the Wild West," and the Wild West became kind of a meme within itself, where everyone would always cite the area of immersive audio as the Wild West. And it was like, okay, great, like. It's the Wild West, we get it. We're figuring out how this goes. And now it's been a few years and now we're, we're figuring out how it goes and people are actually able to stand as experts and talk about best practices, talk about what works, what doesn't creatively, technically, what is happening where, how do we make these things better? So this is, this is what the evolution is, but that really speaks volumes to kind of the uphill challenge that we were facing at the time and in, in many ways people are still facing because the commitment that had to be made by OSIC was not only to create this this product and this ecosystem, but to help the world of audio creators and audio and, 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 and gamers, musicians, and game designers, game developers understand what spatial audio was in the first place, understand that it's there. There was a big education campaign involved in that that I was very actively involved in with Sally, for example, to to educate our our peers on what was happening. And and now that's that's changed. So because because that mode of communication has changed, uh, and our industry is much more educated in general as uh, into in regards to what and how spatial audio and how to create with it, we're actually seeing that that where the communication needs to happen, where the education needs to happen is is different. So people know tools. People are aware of what can be done now. So we're actually seeing like, okay, yeah, some of those concepts from OSIC are showing up in other places now. Like the biggest one is EarPods, Apple EarPods Pro with IMUs now. We're seeing a consumer level audio device that's going to be held by millions of people suddenly have the ability to have head-tracked audio. And head-tracked audio is so crucial to being able to have a great spatial audio experience. It's fundamental to how we relate to sound in the real world, psychoacoustically in the first place. And that was one of the crucial aspects of OSIC that made it an amazing experience. It was an integrated IMU in a headphone. And without a headset, you didn't have that. Without a, without a, a rather an HMD from VR, you didn't have that experience otherwise. And you were either needing to be in a surround sound system or a um, ambisonic speaker decoded system to get that and have that natural head movement to be able to have your fronts pop out of your head to be able to tell, you know, make sense around the cone of confusion and whatnot. To uh, it was the only place that you could really do that. I, I really can't agree more. And in grand scheme of things, it hasn't been that much time 
But I suppose if you kind of live within that time, it does feel like it's been a while. We're talking about over three years now and so much happened, actually. I'll try to list a few things, probably going to miss some important things. Uh, please hit me up if, if I have. But like you've said, um, Apple, which is one of the biggest companies in the world now, uh, part of this game, uh, yeah. Spotify, um, have uh, already applied for for a patent that suggests they're going to be uh, engaging with tracked audio. We had things like Bose AR. We you know we have Rift and Rift S discontinued, and Oculus Go discontinued with world's first untethered VR headset. Now we're on Quest Two. I mean, what else I'm missing? Probably a, a ton of other things. The timeline moves so quickly, and I think one of the one of the things that that really stuck out to me is is when Osik was in the game. Sennheiser hadn't had hadn't announced Ambio yet when Osik was out there demoing the product. So like Sennheiser wasn't even in the game yet. And now like Sennheiser is obviously such a massive player when it comes to this immersive audio ecosystem. So just to show like kind of like what happens in three years. That's right. That's another massive thing, isn't it? It's like Sennheiser wasn't in the game, Bose wasn't in the game, Apple wasn't in the game, you know. Oculus had just released some of their tools. Facebook was, or, or you know, Two Big Years was just acquired by Facebook. Like the timeline is is condensed, but a lot happens in months. You know, the summary here is that as always, somebody has to start somewhere. Somebody has to do it. It's important in order to push the evolution uh, within the industry and um, all the effort that has been made then wasn't wasted. And a lot of people that ha have been part of that project moved on to other important projects and companies. Yeah, exactly. And it's, 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 you can really, you, if, if, if you trace the talent you can uh, with the companies, you can see how, even though OSIC isn't alive today as a company, as a brand, as a product, a lot of the individuals have gone on and to various different places to create that, as you said yourself. And, and like, I think one of the biggest examples of that is is uh, is Kaushik Sundar, who was at OSIC as one of one of the main research scientists working on the uh, customization head related transfer functions. And he's now with um, Embody VR and has been there for years now, working on. Um, customize HRTF solutions there. And they are a key company in licensing um, that technology to many different other places to allow for the inclusion of customized HRTFs through like machine learning methods and through like image image processing and things like that, which is crucial. So like we're now seeing, okay, so customized HRTFs and calibrated HRTFs, like that's that's how it's shaping up in the industry. Maybe not so much in the form of headphones that do that for you, but but software solutions that allow you to be able to implement that yourself through like sofa files, for example. And that's a very clear, okay, this is how the industry built on itself. Not this, but this. Not this solution, but this solution. But the technology is still there and the technology still is moving forward. So Kidar, when did you join Magic Leap and how? So Magic Leap was right after OSIC. Uh, literally, literally, it was from one step to the next as as OSIC was kind of on its way out. Uh, Magic Leap showed up. I think I was giving a talk on some of the creative R and D that we were doing at OSIC at the time at Game Sound Con, and uh, Jean Marc Jot, who was at the time in the process of creating Magic Leap's own team to build augmented reality specific solutions in immersive audio. He saw me give that talk and he was like, hey, come join the team. 
we're building our own tools. We're, we're building our ecosystem. Magic Leap is building our own. Come help us do that. And it was like, you got it. And there it was. And I joined the Magic Leap team. And at, at Magic Leap, I played a crucial role in bringing Magic Leap Spatializer, uh, Magic Soundfield Audio, uh, to market as a tool uh, across all of the game engines and whatnot. And that was that was a really, really exciting thing. It was like to bring Magic Leap's augmented reality-specific spatializer to the market as a developer tool. And that was a large part of what I did at Magic Leap and among many other things too. And I can actually even admit, you know, it's it, it, it was tough to actually, even when Magic Leap Spatializer was integrated as part of the Magic Leap SDK, we still had an uphill battle in adoption and getting getting Magic Leap uh, developers to use the tool actually even 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 when when that was the case and a lot of that still had to do with accessibility stability across all of the game engines all the platforms all the middlewares and doing that in the timeline that was needed for fast moving projects and and so there there was there was a, an adoption battle as 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 we birthed MSA into the world because you can't just you don't just put out all of the all of the um, integrations at once. You have to move through them systematically. And it's first a Unity integration, then an Unreal integration, then a Wise, then then Wise for Unity, Wise for Unreal, and 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 moving through each one of these things, and always playing the balancing act of okay, where are people developing, and prioritizing these platforms is is always part of the game. Was always part of the game for us. And it's a non-trivial amount of work to create a new solution for one of these one of these endpoints, basically. So um, that was that was that was quite one of one of the journeys that we went through with with MSA for sure, as we as we birthed it into existence. Well, since we're talking about MSA, just for those who haven't come across or even heard about MSA at all, can you talk about features, key advantages compared to? Other software solutions that are kind of available within a game engine or third party. From earlier interviews with Jean-Marc Jean uh, as part of other episodes, we've identified a, f- a few kind of um, interesting problems that you were trying to solve, and kind of MSA were on a path to deliver that. Yeah, absolutely. With with augmented reality audio in particular, the 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 challenge is is you're trying to integrate virtual audio into a physical environment where you don't know what the endpoint reverb is going to be you don't know what the room is going to sound like you don't know where your content is going to be rendered as opposed to virtual reality where you have full control over the environment you have full ability to say yes when i'm here the sound is going to sound like this so leading that back into tools development it was how do we actually solve for that problem? How do we how do we set up a a a sound rendering solution or a spatial audio rendering solution in such a way that we can we can really account for that? And and what's the model to really be able to do that? And and, and Jean Marc has always been a huge proponent of a of a very perceptual based approach to solving this and really taking the time to split up and understand. Um, the various components of how we perceive reverb and how we perceive 
sound in different physical environments. So the way that we were on a path to setting that up was uh, was providing a spatial audio solution. Yes, providing a binaural audio renderer that actually you know rendered with HRTFs. But then on the on the uh, reverb side was actually breaking things down into okay, well. There's the early reflections path. There's the late reverberation path, and setting up the tools in Magically to be able to help you calculate, you know, perceptually what's happening with the late reverb, and creating fingerprints that can automatically go in and swap that data out depending on what room location you were in, and creating the internal architecture of a reverb tool to be able to help you do that, and do that in such a way that you, as a content creator, don't need to worry about it. You just basically say, okay, I want this this room reverb to map to match. And then magically we can go through the process of actively figuring that out for you. So, but then also at the same time, providing the same perceptual parameters to override to be like, okay, well, I want my reverb to sound exactly like this. And being able to apply those parameters and those changes in such a way that that you can really control the way your reverb sounds. So this was in many ways, a, a non-geometric, non-physically driven approach to to solving to solving this problem because at the end of the day, you know, it's how we hear. It's 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 how we hear. We don't hear in terms of physics. I mean, we we do, but <laughs> but the way we relate to what we hear is through these perception-based parameters, such as uh, late reverberation time and and time to early reflections, the amount of high frequency data, low frequency data, that's actually how we are able uh, we're able to relate to them as creators as well. Not necessarily absorption coefficients and things like that, you know. You had a unique role at Magic Leap where you were a developer, but as well as working as a sound designer to test out the software you were working on by creating content. Could you share what that involved in more detail? And also, I wanted to discuss your kind of unique perspective as a developer and a content creator. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it was it was definitely fascinating to be to be working right at the cusp of that at at Magic Leap. So to to give some clarity into what that really looked like as we were developing MSA, as we were turning it into a tool and getting it out there for the first time. We, as a company, needed to dog food our own creations, and it was it was really crucially important. So there was a really exciting time when around the time we were we had just launched Magic Leap into the world, and this was this was like two thousand and eighteen or something. and we 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 just launched or yeah, two thousand and nineteen. Okay, doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> but you know, the product had just launched, and we had just gotten MSA out there as a Unity plugin and as a tool to be used for the first time. And and the process of being like, all right, yes, we've 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 prototyped this plugin. We are we we've just gotten it out into the world, version one point And there was and there was this thing of like, okay. As clients start to work on this, as other as other creators start to develop on this, like we need to know what it what it stand what it's actually like. You know, where are the where are the holes? What are the things? And we were really privileged as 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 a company to have our own own um, essentially game studio inside of Magic Leap uh, uh, called uh, Magic Leap Studios and. 
a triple A sound team within it, Sonic Arts, that was headed up by Anastasia Devana at the time. And while we had the like hardware side of Magic Leap, like the hardware, the low level, the software, people working on the OS level, and then our audio algorithms team kind of in the middle developing the unique solutions. So my role was really okay. We, as we're developing the unique algorithms and solutions involved for augmented reality, turning them into creator tools, into plugins, and then being this bridge between us and, and Magic Leap Studios and Sonic Arts and being like, all right, let's work on some content. So at the time, uh, we were working on this collaboration with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and it was a volumetrically captured experience. And um, I ended up playing a key role as as, uh, as sound designer. And as we were releasing MSA, so it was this really cool time where MSA was about to go out the door, and this project needed to happen at the same time in in, in LA. And I was just like, it, it it just made sense. So I I started working on that at the same time to really to really see, okay, this is the first place we're going to ever put um, the spatializer to use, and really see, okay, are there holes that we haven't found yet when we use it in a bigger project, when we use it, um, when we use it for real for the first time. And that was just really exciting to be kind of pivoting between these two modes of operation, between you know like you know software build and release coding to um, to, to sound design, asset implementation, to mixing and, and bringing this creative vision forward. And, uh, and and oftentimes, you know, it'd be like, oops, there's a bug. Like, that's something we didn't pick up in our QA testing. And, oh, let's let's add that now to the way we QA test these products. And, and let's add that as a use case. And being like, oh, this popped up. This could only pop up in a project. So it, it, it really allowed this perspective that I was able to bring to both worlds as both the world of, of content creation and the world of, of software development and to really bridge the gap between those things. And, and that's really kind of where I've always come from and will probably always come from. It's, it's like this commitment to connecting worlds, connecting disciplines and being at this intersection between creation, creativity, between between people who don't necessarily get to view get get a view into into other worlds themselves, like and that was the case at Osic too. You know, like at Osic, it was it was the bridge between like sound designers who had never heard about immersive audio and content creators who had never heard about that to like to to this world. It's like, hey, this is you can use this. This is what this is like. And then at Magic Leap, it was the same. It was like, hey, sound designers, AR creators, this is the same thing. And and that actually continued evolving. Where right before I left Magic Leap, I, I actually um, switched into a full-time developer relations role as an evangelist, as a general evangelist for Magic Leap, not, not necessarily an audio evangelist, though I was always evangelizing audio. And that's kind of one of the one of the key things that has driven this, this, this ability to sit between these kind of typically seen as parallel worlds, where it's where when there is a connection between 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 the worlds and ability from for someone to speak and understand the language of both sides, it ultimately leads to the creation of better products, better experiences. And, and, and that's one of the, the fundamental values that really, really drives how I have shown up professionally in this industry and continue to show up. Um, and that's actually reflected outside of audio too. You know, I actually do work um, in the world of conscious relating and actually help people consciously relate to each other and teach concepts around authentic relating, getting somebody's world authentic relating and things like that. Because at the end of the day, when you're able to do that, you really are able to have a much deeper understanding of self, a much deeper understanding of somebody else's world. 
much deeper understanding of what people are trying to create, why they're trying to create it, and better things happen. And that's really where I where I try to move from when I'm when I'm in these spaces. A project I know less about, but I sort of keep bumping to people that were somewhat involved in it, is the Royal Shakespeare Experience, which you had experience uh, working on. Can you share a little bit more about the project and also maybe briefly things you had to do in terms of sound design and utilizing the tools that we've talked about? The Royal Shakespeare Experience was our way of really seeing what could be possible when we bring theater and Shakespeare into the world of Magic Leap. And this was a volumetrically captured experience. So we actually brought uh, a Shakespearean actor from the Royal Shakespeare Company down to LA into our volumetric capture studio. And we were actually collaborating uh, with Sennheiser at the time on the volumetric capture audio capture solution and had the stage mic'd up in, in with, with all sorts of interesting uh, configurations and things that they were doing to see what they could solve around volumetric capture. So I worked on the capture side uh, for, for one and being like, okay, like, Let's actually work with the actor and 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 capture. So there was a lot of R and D happening at the same time, where it was like, okay, like when we when we use like we have ABC approaches for um, volumetrically capturing audio. Like A could be lavalier, B was uh, you know we had uh, we had an out of the box Sennheiser microphone solution, and C was uh, was was at the time Sennheiser's first proprietary solution to volumetrically captured audio. And then at the time, it was like really evaluating as we were in the production cycle, which mind you, like we're talking about this was this happened over the course of a month from capture to execution out the door. And so so like I remember we captured it and then we were like, all right, let's let's see. Okay, so the new R&D solution versus just a lavalier. And at the time it was like, okay, well, you know, like here's what's good about the the solution that we're collaborating with on on Sennheiser, but oh, it's 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 actually not not what we need. It's not at production level yet. And then giving the feedback back and having that actually inform their development into what they were doing and then kind of still moving forward. So like at the time we only used a lavalier microphone to like capture the dialogue of the actor and use that to be spatialized in MSA and tracked through like tracking data from um, the volumetric cameras. So we actually had to like place that in the mouth and like wrote custom tools to be able to do this all in real time. And it's like, okay, yeah, so this is how we're going to handle the volumetric capture. And then it's just like, okay, let's build a world around this, around this actor. Let's build this, this world. So the, the, the experience was um, from As You Like It, it was uh, the monologue, All the World's the Stage. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the monologue, it's talking about like the, seven, like the stages of life that a man typically goes through before they die. And we juxtapose that against the seasons. So as, as the monologue was talking about spring, summer, fall, winter, relating to childhood, adulthood, early adulthood, like maturity, getting old, and then dying. And so we, we, we built this tree that existed behind the actor as he was performing it. And this was like a tabletop volumetric experience. You saw a tabletop-sized version of this, of this actor performing this monologue. And you saw this tree come to life behind him. And then you saw like the birds, the flowers, and, and actually there were no birds and flowers. That was all from the audio. But that's what the audio's role was, was to create this, create these four different seasons that moved along with the monologue and really brought you into this world and this life and the life stages as that, that this actor was talking about. 
from an immersive audio perspective, that was really, really um, super fun because it was, it, you know, it was a tabletop experience and you were always kind of watching, watching it in front of you. So like, even though, um, so there were, there were kind of two components to the sound field, right? There's, there's the actual um, tree, the actor, the 3D objects on the stage that, that are emitting spatial audio. And then there's the world of ambience around you and the music. Um, and so the music was really amazing. The music was composed by uh, Jessica Curry, and who's who's an amazing, amazing uh, composer, and uh, and and we had a string quartet basically backing this 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 monologue. And so what was fun was all right. So we have these elements that are that are sound design that are in front of you, and then we have this beautiful um, string quartet live recorded um, as an underscore. So one of the things that I did was I actually implemented the string quartet as kind of a sound helmet behind you where you could hear the the quartet playing as an underscore, but it was still spatialized loosely. So as you rotated your head, like it had this lazy follow. So it wasn't, it it was still in the world. And what, what that really did was it gave room for everything to breathe. So one of the things that can always be a challenge when mixing music in a fully immersive um, places when it's when it's when the music is meant to be an underscore when it's non-diegetic and you stick it in as a stereo soundtrack oftentimes you're masking a lot of the perceptual cues that make you to help you understand where sound is coming from in the first place and give presence to the experience so that was crucial here having the actor feel like they were on the table in front of you having this tree in this world really feel like it's part of your world that you're in was 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 incredibly crucial. So to to throw in a stereo soundtrack on top of that would have destroyed that and 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 broken that immediately. So spatializing it behind the head gave this feeling of like, yes, I'm in this room and there's a string quartet with me in this room playing playing this. And even if you didn't intentionally notice it as that, that was the resulting effect. And then there was all sorts of fun things that we got to implement, like for example, um, audio spotlight mixing in audio in augmented reality is crucial. You know, like being able to, you know, come in closely um, to the actor and in very close to to where the action was happening, and then having the sound design really like explode in terms of life and detail, where you have multiple sound emitters, you know, kind of all around the tree, all around the actor, um, giving you different parts of the ambience, giving you different places, giving you this feeling of being in this world larger than life. So it's really immersive as you get in. And then as you move away, you know, having that sound field collapse a little bit and become a little bit more simpler and giving credence to the key crucial component of the, of the, of the mix, which was the dialogue and which was what the actor was saying in the first place in the music. So a lot of this is incredibly subtle, but it's the subtlety that goes a really, really long way in helping these experiences pop. And it was really exciting to be able to be like, all right, yeah, we've got this brand new spatial audio tool. We're gonna, we're gonna test it out. We're gonna, we're gonna send it through the ringer and really see what it feels like. And, and, and that, was, that was just uh, actually one of my favorite experiences at Magic Leap was 
you know, working at this intersection and, and working on some of these things and collaborating closely with, with Jessica, the Royal Shakespeare Company, and, and uh, the volumetric capture team at Magic Leap. It was just a, a beautiful intersection of skills, humans, and uh, experiences. Yeah, I'll never forget, we premiered it at, at, at the Magic Leap conference uh, right after the Magic Leap launched. And it was, uh, I remember standing there and watching people constantly coming into the room and then being moved to tears and getting a moment to just stay still and reflect on their own mortality and where they are in life. And, and, and that was one of those kind of affirming moments where it's like, oh, yeah. That's right, you know, like this is why we're here. This is why why I'm doing this, which is it, it, it it's when all of these technologies and immersive mediums come together in service of art in a really profound way, it ultimately facilitates our connection to self and the deepening of our self-experience and our self-understanding and can really create transformative and moving experiences. And I think that's why a lot of us are here in the first place and why we're creating this technology. You know, it's like, it was a reminder. It was, it was, it was a step back and a reflection point where it's like, yes, this is why all the engineering, this is why all the struggle, this is why all the bugs, this is why all the deadlines for moments like this. And obviously, as we've established as and as we've discussed, you have an, quite an extensive experience within our relatively small ecosystem, you know, working across multiple companies, being part of those big visions currently and in the past. And with the benefit of the hindsight, I'd like you to look into the future and tell me, in your opinion, where do you think we are going as an ecosystem? Where is it developing? How is it evolving? What can we potentially expect in coming months or years or beyond? Yeah, it's 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 really exciting. I think one of the things that I'm really really feeling is that we're on the precipice of of a big moment in consumer availability that's about to dawn upon us where devices are going to start becoming available where the software is so well integrated into the existing tech ecosystems that people have that suddenly it'll be easier than ever to experience like high quality immersive audio content and that's kind of on the on the end user side and and and, and like like I mentioned we're already seeing that with like devices like the Apple AirPod Pros and 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 and, and what Apple's doing and what Facebook's doing with with their devices and tools but we're seeing okay like hey yeah like my phone is more and more and more going to be able to render spatial audio content without me even thinking about it like head tracking is automatically taken care of and it's just there it's just part of it's just part of headphones like all headphones do this take into account your location your information how you're moving and and adapting and moving between these these modes of spatialization where a lot of these things are being taken care of through context and that's one of the things that I'm I'm really seeing the future entail where it's like where where you're able to live your life and the way you relate to audio is being 
handled by even more context-sensitive situations. Like, okay, yeah, like we're just listening to music right now. Oh, great! Like, no, I, I just got a, I just got a call, and somebody else is talking, and in the world, and like, my device and I know my preferences, and it can adapt to handling things like that. Where it's like, okay, yeah, like, like let's like cut the audio in an elegant way and let's like allow pass through audio with spatialized audio information. But here's the thing is like not a lot of this is already there, but it's not accessible or it's tough to get to. So I think we're going to be seeing this like start to normalize. And we're, we're in this really interesting place where it's like beginning to normalize the things that we're already aware of and already know, just getting more and more deeply embedded into the existing tools and systems and, and more and more consumers discovering it. But then kind of on the flip side where it's like, okay, well, like as creators, what are we, what are we, what are we, what do we have to look forward to? And I'm, I'm just really, really excited about kind of this, this world that we're stepping into where we're watching, um, more and more interactivity and linear media, the tools of the trade there really converge and and merge. You know, we're seeing we're seeing more and more films being developed in Unreal, right from pre-production all the way through. And and that's really exciting as as, as an audio creator. I think that that like a lot of the a lot of the tools of the trade that we use in game audio are going to be pulled more and more into what we do in film. And the productions, the production workflows are going to converge even further. And that we're going to see what, what I imagine to be glue between kind of holes in the ecosystem. When I, when I say holes, I'm talking about, okay, like, okay, what happens between doing work in my DAW? Like if I've got this, like, this massive session for a film that I'm working on and going from there... Um, to, okay, well, this needs to be implemented in Game Engine now. Like, okay, like tools to help that process over, like get the object spatialized to where they need to and having that happen immediately. And we're seeing more and more tools facilitate that. You know, there have been formats for a while, like MPEG-H, like ADM, that help facilitate, you know, spatial audio data transfer and carrying the information about what's being spatialized, the formats, the objects, the scene, all of that representation. And having that just be easy not like a thing that you as a content creator have to have to engineer as part of your pipeline but just part of the way the pipeline works out of the box where there's glue between DAWs there's glue between DAWs and middleware there's glue between middleware and game engine there's there's glue between that and 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 how the consumer has the ability to affect their audio audio systems and and that's what I'm I'm really excited about and looking forward to um, glue between these various these various disciplines, intersections, and pipelines to that that reach all the way to the consumer that reach all the way down. So like being able to know from the beginning, like hey, like this this experience is going to be published in Dolby Atmos as a movie and. It's going to have the ability to do Atmos over headphones or, or whatever. Like it doesn't even have to be Dolby Atmos, but like spatial audio over headphones. And it's going to have these features and whatnot. And seeing and having the ability to mix for all of that all the way at the end and have the controls for that reach farther back into the pipeline. So like farther back into the busing that you set up and more cohesion there. And that's something that I'm really excited for that I think will emerge. Um, because right now you, you kind of like, in the immersive space, you're like, all right, 
here's my immersive mix or here's my thing. And then it goes out into the world and then your consumer devices, you're just like shrug, don't know what headphones are going to be used, don't know what speaker systems are going to be used, don't know, don't know at all. But as the, as the, as the ecosystem matures, I, I do see us being able to have further insight into that and info back from that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, like, I think each step of the way we're seeing how AI and machine learning are really helping us create that, you know, like it's, it's creating some, like it's, it's providing us with the data to be able to create the models to do key things in the areas of like synthesis, capture, pipeline that we've never been able to do before. So it's, it's really beautiful to watch that emerge as well. And like, and I think, and I think that's what I'm excited for is, is the glue between all of these things forming. Kedar, my next question is, what, what are you up to today? And this is how we started the conversation. Uh, what we're going to put in, in those brackets next to your name. And um, but just to give uh, audience a bit of a perspective on your journey and where you are at the moment. Right now, I'm doing a lot of consulting work. Like I'm, I'm working a lot on various audio tools, audio working on like middleware tools and solutions. But I'm also showing up as uh, a general XR pro, uh, as an XR engineer in many ways. And I've been working on uh, a lot of exciting new uh, projects, just going out into the world. Like um, one of the things that I'm working on is uh, a project called Stage, which is developing. Uh, virtual concert venues and retail spaces for that are mobile centric and in virtual reality as well, and it's it's really interesting. You know, the pandemic has really facilitated a lot of a lot more of live streams, a lot more of these the need for these virtual spaces for people to connect. And for me personally, like a lot of a lot of my work has pulled me in that direction naturally, and I've been working on that in in various capacities. But at a, at a deeper level, it's had me reflecting on kind of what do we need right now? And I, it's, 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 it's the question has been like, well, you know, I've been working in XR for this time. I know like virtual reality. I know augmented reality. I know these things have such an amazing capacity to help people connect during this time. But there's, but it's had me de- reach even deeper and be like, okay, well, like, what's what's more fundamental and like what's happening at a deeper level like around our need to connect and and be connected to to see and be seen and that's actually led me to doing a lot of work outside of this industry um, and facilitating and doing work in the areas of conscious relating like I was mentioning earlier so I've I've actually started leading retreats and events online and small gatherings in person around um, authentic relating and teaching concepts around how people can be seen and to see other people in an interpersonal meditation kind of capacity and this discovery of self and feeling this, how fundamental that is to everything that we do as we connect as humans. Because at our core, we can be alone, right? You know, and we can thrive alone. We, we, we're trying our best right now. You know, we're, we, we, we can do all the meditation and yoga you want. You can, you can really be in this world, but we exist in relationship to other people. And it's in relationship to other people that we really live our lives. And 
what happens when you actually tap into that connection intentionally and explore it more fully is something that has been really grabbing my attention and has been taking my time and been happening alongside all of this work in XR. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it ultimately comes down to this fundamental thing, like I was telling you before, that has been driving the work that I've done in audio up until now, where it's like, you know, I have a commitment to creating connection between worlds, whether they be two human worlds, two industry worlds, two discipline worlds, or things like that. And it, it also, it, it, and the reason it's always been in audio has been because at the core level, audio is the medium that ultimately facilitates our connection to ourselves and opens up for really opens us up for deeply profound and powerful experiences. We as sound designers, we as audio creators know this inherently, and this is why we're there. This is this is this is what has brought us to this medium in the first place. And I see that reflected in how I work with communication as well, with voice, with people relating to one another. And it's the same kind of thing. So I don't know. We're, we're, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful transitional time period. And I feel that you're catching me in this space of affirming and being with things that are fundamental during this pandemic time period as I'm in like a metamorphosis from something to somewhere. But the core things that drive that are still the same, that have always driven me are still the same. So yeah, we'll see. So it's uh stay tuned. It's it's an exciting time period to to be to be to be existing in. Both and I feel both incredible optimism and incredible pessimism at the same time. And both are alive in me always. <laughs> So it's a, a free spirit in brackets then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, amazing. You can say um, immersive audio free spirit. Yes. <laughs> Why not? And, and as we wrap up, I wanted to talk about something a bit more personal. And actually, this is how we met. About a couple of years ago at GDC, we were participating with the events that were taking place at Sennheiser flagship store in San Francisco. And I know that you started one of your presentations with a small meditation session. And it, it really kind of made me stop and think because it's really unusual within our community because we used to this sort of uh, high octane performance, more faster. I know that you are into your wellness and meditation and yoga. And in our work, maintaining high level performance, you know, staying creative is absolutely a must. You're as good as your last job, pretty much. But staying healthy and balanced is absolutely critical to avoid the burnout. So can you share any tips with our audience on how you've discovered your balance and kind of link between being a successful professional within this space, but also a healthy and spiritual individual? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing that that really showed up for me in that in that in that journey i guess was yes there are all these healthy practices that you can do like and, and you know everyone it's like it's a well-known thing yeah meditation is healthy for you like have a full night of sleep be healthy exercise like do all these things right it's just like eat healthy and it's just like it's like at a physical and emotional level like yes that's true that is what helps you stay healthy and that is what helps you stay balanced 
as you move through these things. But kind of what I, I remember, um, I for a lot of my career, I would, I would try to do those things and it just didn't happen. Like I just couldn't do it. I was like, I was working nonstop. It was, I was like always committed to, to, to what I was working on the next thing. And, you know, there's, there's definitely this, as you've kind of noticed, um, like, as you just named, like this high octane thing where it's like, we live in this intersection of tech and, and, and entertainment industry and art. And, and it's like, get it done, go to the next thing. And what it actually took was a fundamental, like slowing down and reexamining of all Reexamination of all of the beliefs that I had around how I needed to show up as a professional and with myself. And what I mean by that is like my self-worth is defined by how much work I put in or what I accomplish in the industry or uh, my creative output. And these beliefs, a lot of us carry these beliefs whether we're aware of them or not. And they inform our ability to prioritize self and for me to be even able to meditate every day, to be even able to do yoga every day, or to even be able to like just get a full night of sleep, I had to make a really big commitment. I had to actually hit a low point. And that actually happened after I built the Royal Shakespeare experience. Like that was like an amazing moment. And then I actually fell into um, a deep, deep depression. And right at, when I was in that kind of low point, I was just like incredibly lonely, incredibly feeling like, just feeling like, like why, why am I doing this? Not feeling like myself in many ways. And it was from that place that I, I really had to take a step back and look at all of the fundamental things that were informing my day-to-day actions. And I had to take take stock, you know, if you will. And it was it was from that place I was able to really slow down and took a look at how all my habits were built in the first place and what beliefs informed my habits. And I remember like I actually started journaling every day and taking a catalog of like, here are all the things that I do that feel unhealthy that aren't serving me. And here are all the things that, here are all the habits. And there's a great book that really that really inspired me on this path, which was um, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And he talks about how you can break down your habits into three components. Like there's a trigger and then there's a routine and there's a reward. And oftentimes the thing that triggers your habit is not the thing that you expect. And when you go through the habit, when you go through the routine of your habit, you're not thinking. And then when you finish your habit, there's a reward at the end in some way, shape, or form. So I really brought a lot of intentionality to that. I'm like, oh my God, like I eat so much junk food when I'm working. Like what's actually going on there? What's the trigger? What's what's happening? What's the and what that triggers the routine of snack food and then what triggers the reward? What's my actual reward? I was like, oh man, like I'm like, the trigger is like boredom and stress. And it's like, okay. And like and he actually talks about the easiest way to fix a habit is through a swap of the routine while keeping the trigger and the reward the same. So you see all these people kind of try and like, okay, yeah, like starting from today, I'm going to work out all the time. I'm going to be healthy. And it just fails because what they're trying to change is they're trying to change everything. They're trying to change the, the things that trigger them. They're trying to change the rewards that they normally get. And that just fails. So I went through this, this process of really intentionally being like, okay, every day, Here's what I think is happening with me. Here's what I think the trigger routine reward is. And then swapping them out systematically. And actually, from that place, I was able to drop a lot of these things. Like at that point in time, I was actually very um, I was, I was, I was deeply dependent on 
like alcohol and a lot of substances to keep going. And I was in an incredibly lonely and unhealthy place. And from that, I was able to swap those things out and start taking steps to being incredibly balanced and finally having um, meditation, yoga, and all these practices that actually inform wellness as a core practice. But I think the thing that I'm really trying to articulate here through this long, long, long-winded explanation is that through that process, the thing that was the most challenging around it was taking a moment to be like, I don't need to work past a certain point. Sleep is the most important thing. Your project will be okay. Your client will be okay. Like you being healthy is a must. And really baking that in and undoing all of the other programming and really like, like that one, that, oh my God, that was so, so hard to do. Like that was one of the most difficult things about it. So, you know, it's, so I guess, I guess my, my, my advice or my, my suggestion is, is to really like, if you're trying to be healthier, if you're trying to be more balanced, like what are the fundamental beliefs and values that exist behind how you're showing up in the first place that drive the behaviors and states of being that you're feeling? And can you slow down enough to notice those things? Because if you notice those things, it becomes infinitely easier to um, stay balanced as a successful professional and a healthy individual, which I feel very grateful to be the place that I'm at right now in my work. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Finally, Kadar, can you give one piece of advice to our audience that really helped you in your career? Slow down and trust your gut and breathe. Trust that putting the gas pedal down and lifting it up also needs to happen at the same time. You can go, go, go and stop and breathe at the same time. And when you do, you'll notice what the next step is. And I think that's one of the main things that has sat behind all the decisions that I've made in navigating an industry that had no clear steps forward and navigating a landscape of life that had no clear paths and being like, trusting the next step and slowing down enough to feel it. And then when feel, and once, once it's felt, really putting the gas down and moving and committing to it fully and going, going forward with full, full commitment. It's not audio-specific advice, but we kind of zoomed out. So if you want audio-specific advice, learn how to code. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, I almost got into that kind of meditative state, like, you know, that kind of pace and uh, the pauses in between. This is brilliant. And it's probably first time we have that type of advice on podcast. It's not specifically, you know, career focused, business driven. But at the same time, if you look at it, being well, being healthy, being balanced is, is a fundamental requirement to be able to live and to be able to perform regardless who you are and what you do. So um, go figure. <laughs> On that note, I'd like to say that it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, Kedar. Um, it's, well, 
coming up to a couple hours now. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of editing, but I'm keeping most <laughs> of it in. So thank you for talking to me. I really enjoyed our conversation and best of luck. And thank hopefully you. I'll bump into you sometime soon when all the COVID madness is over. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right. Thank you, Oliver. Before you go, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you think about our show, please take the quick survey in this episode's description. It'll help us make the immersive audio podcast even better. We really appreciate your feedback. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Michelle Chan and included music by Inobs Bergamo. If you can, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.